0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back. We are going to be in 1 John chapter 4 today. And the last couple weeks, Isaiah uh, covered this second spiral of uh, doctrinal and moral tests. Uh, And a couple weeks ago, he had talked about antichrists, and he also talked about uh, the last week, he talked about the call for believers to be righteous and loving, that mix of doctrinal and moral tests. And we're going to start another spiral here. So the Apostle John takes us around again, and so we're going to cover another set of doctrinal and moral tests. Uh, and this time we're going to spend uh, some time in the first six verses of chapter 4. Now, the last couple of weeks, Isaiah had the um, assignment of a lot of verses, and the way the structure went through. He did a yeoman's job of working through a lot of material. But this week, somehow it fell on me that I get six verses to cover, um, which it's nice. I mean, we can spend a little more time, dive a little bit deeper, and um, cover it a little bit more in detail. And in this section, John is addressing false teaching. Uh, and how to identify it. So that's the doctrinal test that we're going to work through. Not necessarily an easy topic, but a really, really important topic as believers. So speaking of things false, have you ever wondered how to detect counterfeit money, how that's done? I think this one's real. But I did a little bit of research on this, and that there are a number of ways that Our Bureau of Engraving and Printing have put in different marks on paper money to ensure that it's genuine. You know what some of those are? Watermarks. Watermarks. Yeah, so if I hold this up to the light, here Andrew Jackson, I see a little um, uh, picture of him through that watermark that I can't see otherwise that's one. The strip, there is actually a a little strip that runs along the side here and that strip actually changes color when you put it underneath an ultraviolet light. So that's a little bit hard for counterfeiters to get to. There's other ones in here too. The paper itself, it's, it's a unique combination of like cotton and linen, so the feel. In fact, there was some expert that I read about that could be really accurate in determining whether it's a counterfeit or not, blindfolded. You could just feel it. You could feel that this unique composition. There's other ones, like there's raised ink on here, like that 20 that's in that lower left, and when you hold it directly, it's a copper color, but then when you tilt it, it turns green. So that's kind of hard for counterfeiters to get to, don't you think? Uh, microprinting. You know there's microprinting on here? And if you color. take... If you yeah, the color, yeah, if no, you, color. on the collar, well, on one of the bills that's on the collar, I think it might be on the 50 or the 100. but the microprinting is somewhere else on here, on the 20. So that'll be your assignment, see if you can find it. <laughs> but you can. I, it's not just with a, uh, a uh, magnifying glass. I took my phone and zoomed in and I found it. So you've, that's, that's your test. So um, anyway, there's a lot of different ways that we put in to figure this out. I don't have a 20 can I borrow yours? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> what, what, yeah. what I was going to do is actually put it in the right hands of where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it goes. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually read that there are actually some uh, additional security features on, on uh, printed money that are actually secrets. They're... They're closely guarded secrets by the government that we don't even know about. So, I mean, if you know about them, please don't tell me. <laughs> uh, but there are some. There's a lot. But you think about like tellers at a bank or people that are cashiers that come across a lot of money uh, on a regular basis. How they can make a quick decision uh, uh, on determining whether you know this money is counterfeit or not. Um, And there's a lot of tools that they use. Sometimes you've seen the the pins that they mark on them to see real quick. Turns out the Federal Reserve says those aren't very accurate. And a friend of mine who worked at a bank told me that after working at a bank for a while, he asked when he was going to be trained on identifying counterfeits. You know what they told him? They said, that's not going to be necessary. And you know why? The reason is that they told him it wouldn't be necessary because the more he spent time with the real thing, the real money, the easier it would be for him to identify the counterfeit. So they don't study counterfeits, they study the genuine bills over and over and over again to figure out what the real thing is, and then it's easier to identify the counterfeit. So you might be asking, what does that have to do with false teaching? Well. John MacArthur says, detecting a spiritual counterfeit, false teaching, requires the same discipline. Master the truth to refute error. Don't spend time studying error. Shun it. Study truth. Hold fast the faithful word. Then you'll be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. That's a reference from Titus chapter 1, verse 9. So as we go into our verses here, let's keep that in mind. Uh, As we work through this passage We want to keep our eyes on the truth That's where we want to spend time with it We want to get familiar with the truth Then it will be easier for us to be able to identify and spot error So let's uh, take the word And we are going to uh, read Chapter 4 Verses 1 through 6 Beloved, do not believe every spirit But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He, knows, he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. But this we know, the spirit of truth, and by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we have to study your word. I um, pray that you would give us wisdom. Uh, give us wisdom to understand it. Give us discerning hearts uh, to apply it in our attitudes as well. pray that you give us a greater understanding of you, not as the world sees you, but as you revealed it in your word. Um, bless our time together. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So one way to summarize this passage is that it's very much about spiritual discernment. That's the key topic here of these verses. And I provided a working definition here in the handout that spiritual discernment can be defined as the ability to distinguish God's thoughts in ways from all others. So the ability to distinguish God's thoughts in ways from all others. The Hebrew and Greek terms that are most often used for discernment in the Bible, they refer to a process by how one comes to understand and know God's thoughts and ways through separating uh, those things that differ. So this discernment is a skill in the ability to separate this using this process of separation, separating truth from error. And when we add the word spiritual to discernment, it just doesn't mean that it's a kind of discernment that Christians do versus the discernment that unbelievers do. There's something more. There's something very special here. It it means that discernment is given to us by the Spirit of God. Uh, We have his discernment uh, as being um, uh, believers uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And and Paul speaks here of the Spirit who dwells within believers and gives us the ability to ascertain the mind of God uh, and also distinguish the wisdom of the world from the wisdom of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul says. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by Houston, human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So it's necessary for, that the spirit of God be at work in our lives if we're going to have proper spiritual discernment the spirit is always involved in the process. And and back in 1 John in chapter 4, we see that word spirit in those 6 verses we see it mentioned seven times. So that should be a clue to us that there's something significant here, right? And the word spirit can mean different things. We've seen that throughout scripture, right? It mean it can mean wind, breath, life, power, strength. But here in these verses is primarily referring to the attitude and the approach of a particular teacher. So this is a spirit as in an ideology that's being communicated. And behind every prophet, behind every teacher, every proclamation, every message, there is an energizing spirit behind it, good or bad. right? And their message will inform us as to the origin and the source uh, of their message. And in the end, it'll either be of God, from God, or it won't. So John's saying here that a healthy dose of spiritual skepticism is important. It, in fact, it's essential for the health and well-being of believers. We're to be a discerning people. Proverbs 16.21 says, The wise of heart is called discerning. It comes with being a believer. It is a mark of wisdom, is being discerning. However, sometimes as Christians, we can be lax in our spiritual discernment. George Duncan says, It is a strange fact about life that many people who are careful and explicit and exact in almost every department of their lives are at the same time, when it comes to spiritual things, content with vague uncertainties. Mm -hmm. And John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us, he's communicating to us certainties. This is not uncertainties, right? He doesn't want us to be content with vague uncertainties. And this is nothing new. This, is not even, this was not new to uh, the readers of John's day. We can go all the way back uh, to Satan in the Garden of Eden. And in the handout here, I, I mentioned this, that Satan's strategy in the Garden of Eden was to attack the truth. So it began a long time ago of the truth being attacked. And he did it in various ways. We see in the beginning of chapter 3 of Genesis, First, he cast doubt on what God had said about eating the fruit of the tree of life. He cast doubt. He said, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat? And then secondly, he denied outright what God had said to Adam. In verse 4 of Genesis 3, you surely will not die. So he denied. And then third, he distorted what God had told Adam. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he distorted uh, what God had told him. And then ever since, Satan and his demonic forces have waged a relentless campaign against the truth. Even today, we face that. And he's used these tactics of doubt and denial and distortion. Now, on the other hand, we see scripture there's many references to the importance of knowing and upholding the truth, right? We see this time and time again in the Old Testament. Moses, Joshua, Samuel, Elijah, prophets called God's people back to the truth, right, from idolatry and falsehood. And then in the New Testament, Jesus himself uh, warned of false prophets, and we see it with Paul and Peter, John here, and Jude. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm not going to have you turn a whole much more than this, but I think this was very relevant. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul has some things here to tell us what we should expect to see. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So it's, it's crucial for believers to recognize the difference between the spirit of truth, that's God's truth, and the spirit of error in falsehood. This is doctrines of demons. And we're impacted by the teaching that we receive, aren't we? By the messages that we receive on a regular basis. J. Adams said, Both truth and error, when accepted into thought, life, and ministry, make an impression on the person. Error dulls leading the heart away from God while the truth sharpens him spiritually and in every other way. Error dulls. So what we get exposed to if it's not truth, we'll dull us. And John knew his readers were under attack uh, from false teachers. So he commanded them to test those who claim to teach the truth. And, and he gives reasons why this is crucial uh, in some guidelines for how to do it. So what he's doing here is that he's laying out a strategy for Christians to use. And these are tests, tests that we must take so if we look at verse 1, back in chapter uh, 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So the first test that we must take is, are you following false prophets? He lays it out to start with that. And he begins here again with this wor- words of affection and love. He uses that term, beloved or little children a number of times in this letter or some translations say dear friends he deeply cares for these people and he's caring also with the concern that he knows that danger is lurking and possibly also within the church and he wants them to be aware of the fact that not every spiritual teacher is a credible teacher he's essentially saying don't be gullible and if you look back in chapter 3, verse 24, John talks about the abiding work of the Holy Spirit uh, in believers. And now he's transitioning to the work of unholy spirits uh, in false teachers and what they teach. So we're seeing this contrast again. And this is a command. So this is an imperative, a command that he's given, and can be even potentially translated as stop believing. So it's possible that there might have been some people in the church that had already been accepting some of the messages of these false teachers. And John's telling them to stop. So if we continue in verse 1, he says, But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So this term test here um, kind of refers to the similar work that a metallurgist would do. A metallurgist tests uh, metals for their quality and purity. So he's, he's telling his believers to do the same thing, to take that level of test for, on the messages that are received for its purity and its value. And this is a command in the present tense, meaning this should continue to be done. This is not a one-time thing and to see whether they are from God. Paul says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. We're to be examining on a regular basis what we're receiving. Um, To see what we hear, what we see, what we read, the content of the messages that we receive to determine whether it (coughs) originates from the Spirit of God. Now, The only reliable way to do that is to measure it against what? The word of God, right? What he has revealed in his word. So the word of God is the believer's primary defense against error. That's where it must start. Hebrews 4.12, a verse you probably know, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, right? That's where it begins. And John, he indicates some urgency here too because he says many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets and their false teachings are everywhere. They were back then. They are today as well. And remember, not all spiritual or religious activity is necessarily godly activity. There's a lot of spiritual activity that we're aware of in our world today. We're to evaluate the message and the messenger by the word of God. If you want to take anything out of what we're talking about today, that is the core of our uh, responsibility. And false prophets, they're deceptive in their message. They've been sent out on their own great commission to deceive and to to plant doubt into uh, believers' lives. And it's also important to note that false teaching is not always so obviously false. Isaiah talked about this before. Uh, it, it can be subtle, uh, where the truth is sabotaged by mixing it with error. Many times, the subtle approach can be more effective for the false teacher than outright contradiction of truth. And we saw that in the Garden of Eden Satan cast doubt. Um, and uh, was deceiving in, in his approach. Just walk into a Christian bookstore, and I'm sure you'll find some <laughs> subtle errors <laughs> that can lead one to deception. Some of them maybe not so subtle, but we're to be um, aware of that and to be evaluating what we receive. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light Therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And Jesus himself says, Matthew 7:15, "Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves." We can't say that we were never warned, can we? Jesus warned us. Paul warned us. Peter warned us. Jude warned us. Here John is warning us, right? We are to be aware. And the terms do not believe and test in this verse are actually in the plural. And that means it's a church-wide community responsibility. This is not something that just church leaders are responsible for. Every believer has has the responsibility as well as the privilege of spiritual discernment. This is not just for someone else. This is for all of us. Guy Woods said, It matters not how pious or religious a teacher may affect to be. He is worthy of belief only when his teaching is in complete harmony with the Word of God. If it is not in harmony therewith, he ought to be, he must be, speedily repudiated. To do otherwise is to imbibe the poison of unbelief. It is to espouse false doctrine. It is to become a party to the propagation of error. Now, next, John lays out these three key tests of whether a teacher in their message reflect the spirit of God or the spirit of Satan. So let's look at verse 2. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So the second test that we must take here is that are you confessing the true Jesus the true Jesus. This is uh, this first test is very much a theological test. It, what does the person teach about Jesus Christ? That's a very good question that we can ask of anyone, of any message that we're receiving. It starts there. What are they teaching about Jesus? You remember, at the beginning of our class several weeks ago, uh, the point was made that John wants to make sure that we get the Jesus question right. Uh, that here is a perfect example of him coming back to that. Our understanding of who Jesus is, is vital. And here John doesn't explore all aspects of Christology. It's it's very um, large and covering a lot of different things in Christology. But here he's addressing some of the key issues that his recipients were facing at the time. And if you go back to chapter 1, of 1 John, you can see where he's echoing this definitive statement that he used to begin the letter. So if we look at that real quick back in chapter 1 of 1 John, I just want to read this again. Verses 1 through 3. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ. So John's answer to the Jesus question throughout this letter is, has multiple components. One He's eternal deity. He's God. Uh, the, he's the second person of the Godhead who became man, and he died a substitutionary death for the sins of the world. Christianity is rooted in this question, what do you believe about Jesus? And we've got to get this right. The veracity of our faith depends on getting that question right. The standard by which these spirits are to be tested is their attitude toward the person of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. If Jesus was just some other enlightened teacher, uh, he'll only be considered as one opinion among many others. Right? But if he is the very incarnation of God, what John claims here, he's the only option for salvation uh, among all the imposters. John fourteen six. Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and No one comes to the Father but through me, through Jesus. It's exclusive. Now in verse 3, John gives us this negative side of this test. He says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. So those who deny the truth of the incarnation of Jesus, they're just not of God. And it is of the Antichrist. There's no neutral stance here. The contrasts of John continue here. Remember, at the time of the early church, they were plagued with false teaching about Jesus. They didn't get the Jesus question right. Uh, A couple examples. There were uh, this group called Docetists or Docetists. They said Jesus was some phantom ghostly spirit that only appeared to be human. Uh, Can you see why John wrote what he did to begin in the first chapter? Another one was, there was this man named Serenthus who had claimed that the spirit of Christ entered the human Jesus at his baptism and then left at his crucifixion. Right? Bottom line is, there They denied the genuine reality of the incarnation, right? The full and true humanity and the full and true deity of Christ. F.F. Bruce said, No matter how charming, how plausible, how eloquent the prophets in question may be, the test of their witness to Christ and his truth is the test by which they must be judged. It starts there. Now, this word antichrist uh, is... uh, is uh, we learned about a couple weeks ago means against Christ. Uh, And Isaiah covered this uh, word a couple weeks ago, and it could mean a couple things. One, this single figure that we learn about in uh, Daniel and Revelation, right? This is the, the figure that attempts to replace Christ in the future. But it also means a general, in general with false teaching and doctrine, right? He's saying that, this is, this is present today. And they heard that the final Antichrist is coming, but the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. It's here. And that spirit of Antichrist is evident in false religion, aberrant doctrine, as compared to the Word of God. And, I, and I'm sure you know it wasn't just active in John's day. It is still active today. Amen. Until Jesus comes, this will be... A reality so what are we to do we're to examine ourselves that we are confessing the true jesus so we look at verse four he says you are from god little children and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world so the third test that we must take is are you trusting in the greater spirit and the greater spirit here is the holy spirit in John's statement here, "You are from God, little children, and overcome them." This is an affirmation of the believer's security from against false teachers. This is positive encouragement. We hear John doing a lot of contrasting and uh, times where it may uh, not feel very encouraging, but he does he does pull in these times where he's encouraging uh, his readers. We have a champion here. We have a source of power that the enemies of hell cannot overcome. He, He adds, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit indwells believers, right? He's in us, not just with us. He's in us. And he's greater than anything the world will throw at us. Isn't that an amazing thought? God chose to take up residence in our hearts. I'll show my age on this one. Um, Some of you may know. Does anyone remember a song "Greater Is He"? Greater is He. Now this was from a long time ago, like seventies. I was just you're thinking that. Okay, you got that one. Okay, so I got one taker. So anyway, if you search, greater is he, it's the, the, if you search it, you'll get some more newer ones. But search search it, it the Lanny Wolf Trio, 1973. I grew up on this. But um, anyway, the Gaithers even performed. You want to watch the Gaithers. But um, a great truth uh, that, um, that we have the spirit of God. Uh, John MacArthur reminds us that in the incarnation, God became a partaker of human nature. That's Jesus. But on the other hand, through regeneration, humans become partakers of the divine nature. That's that great exchange. It's a wonderful thought. It's a great privilege. It's a very comforting thought to know that. Zane Hodges says, Reliance on God is the secret of all victory, whether over heresy or any other snare. The indwelling one, the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer and is thus the one who is in you is mightier than the one who is in the world, namely Satan. It's a great, great reminder of a wonderful truth. Verse 5, he says, They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. So he's referring to um, uh, the false teachers here. So the fourth test that we're to take is, are you listening to the right teachers? Are you listening to the right teachers? So John moves from the comfort he provided in verse four to a negative contrast. He doesn't spend a whole long time in one way or the other. He's, he's doing a lot of contrasting here, right? And he provides three descriptions of false teachers and their followers for us to be aware of. One... They are from the world. So they're not from God. And you remember back in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, that those who love the world do not have what? The love of God in them. He's contrasting that, the love of the world versus the love of God. And two, they're not only from the world, they also speak as from the world. Worldly people will speak from a worldly perspective. This is to be expected. Those who do so are not abiding in God, nor are they speaking the truth. And then, third, he says the world listens to them. These worldly people are accepted by the rest of the world, since they speak from the same ungodly viewpoint. But that sometimes can sadness, right? It does me, and many times it will. And we should, But we should never be surprised when the lost think like lost people and live like lost people. It should give us a compassion for them, uh, to deliver the truth to them. Verse 6, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, in contrast to the prior verse describing false teachers, he's talking about teachers who are from God will proclaim his word as truth. The pronoun we here primarily refers to John and the other writers of Scripture. And those who know God will listen to them. John 8, 47, Jesus says, He who is of God hears the word of God. Now, on the other hand, those who do not know God do not listen to their teaching. So, either someone's teaching matches the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, or else it's false. That is our comparison. So, there's no Jesus plus or Bible plus for those who truly know God. Things that are being added. And at the same time, there's no Jesus minus or Bible minus theology either. That's how false teaching can occur, is through deception by um, making uh, subtle changes to the truth. So this is how we can tell for sure the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, or falsehood and deception. And the idea of spirit of error here has this idea of wandering from the truth. It's this idea of wandering. Daniel Aiken says false prophets and those who listen to their teaching hang around the truth for a while, but they don't stay, they wander away. Again and again, their error comes back to what they think and believe about Jesus. And in his commentary, I found this really helpful, he goes on to list a number of topics where false teachers stray. And this is something for us to be aware of. There are a number of things where false teachers can stray. The deity of Jesus. The sinlessness of Jesus. We heard that a lot, right? the miracles of Jesus. Jesus is the only savior. Uh, Jesus' death as a substitutionary sacrifice. His resurrection, his ascension, his return, his judgment, all of these things around Jesus are under attack. And the attacks on the truth come from so many different angles. And how do you think these counterfeits continue to thrive today? I think one way is the fact that there's lack of discernment among people. That we're called as believers to be discerning people. And Scripture gives us a model example, albeit a brief one, of biblical discernment. You probably know it. The Bereans in Acts. Right? It's, a, it's a short commentary on this, but in Acts 17.11... It says now these were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So what were they doing? They were using the word of God as their standard. So as believers, we have to constantly test the spirits uh, to discern what is from God and what is not Uh, like the Bereans we compare every spiritual message to the standard of Scripture. And like those who are trained to identify counterfeit money, the more we saturate ourselves in the truth of the Word, the better we'll be able to identify spiritual counterfeits. Tim Chowley says... Just as I am responsible for money I accept and later attempt to spend, in the same way, I am responsible for the teachings I accept and later attempt to share with others. Thus, it is my responsibility before God to inspect every teaching that comes my way. I should test each teaching that is presented to me, refusing to accept any that go against the plain teaching of Scripture. The plain teaching of Scripture is, believers, we are equipped to understand that. And that's what we're to use as our standard for evaluating the messages that we received. Not only from the pulpit, but the messages that we receive anywhere in our lives. Paul, he admonished uh, his readers a number of times to be discerning, as you probably know. In Ephesians, he says in chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We walk in the light. According to the word, we'll be able to be better discerners on spiritual matters. Now, before we end, I do wanna take a moment just to say a few things in balance, because we have talked a lot about the need here to be spiritual discerners, and that is so true. It's very important, but there are a few things I just wanna add some commentary on that I think would be helpful. Uh, First, we need to guard ourselves from being cynical or embittered, right? The church is the custodian of the truth, So our discernment must be worked out in context in the community of church and church leadership. So we're not to be known as the bittered person who's uh, not being submissive to uh, the church and church leadership, right? This calls for humility uh, and courage that is willing to submit to church leadership. Secondly... We have to be careful not to be so concerned about heresy that it becomes our sole focus. We need to be aware of it when it happens. We need to be very discerning. But we're to apply discernment so that we may learn and live by the truth. The truth is our aim. The truth is what we are known by and what we pursue. Remember the Bereans? They applied discernment, they examined the scriptures, to see whether these things were so. Now, we don't know uh, all the information that they were uh, responding to, but coming from Paul, there were many things that were true. So uh, they did this probably to other teaching that they got, and they might have identified some heresy, but they're also identifying truth, and they celebrate it, right? Three... There can be some different views on some matters uh, within the church where fellowship should be retained. Um, But they must not be regarding core doctrines, what we talked about today, and the core of the gospel. There are preferences in the church where differences can exist. There are. And we need to understand that versus false teaching that needs to be identified as such right? So it takes discernment to understand that. Um, If you're not sure about that distinction, if there's something that you're thinking about, let me encourage you to talk to an elder. I, I think it would be helpful if there are some things that you're not sure about. Those are things that we should be bringing up to our leaders. And then lastly, while we need to be aware and test the spirits, we need to do it with a balance of compassion and love for others. We're always to be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, are we not? And that first fruit of the Spirit is love. We're to love others. So when we are discerning, we're also to be loving to others at the same time. So I put a few few, uh, key points there on the back of the sheet there, some things to consider real quickly. One, these are like... Some key things to consider to take home with you. The word of God is the believer's primary defense against error. We have to start there. That is, uh, you know, it must be the standard for any evaluation that that we make. And secondly, genuine Christians will avoid false teachers and recognize true teachers possess the spirit of God and preach Christ as the risen Lord, right? We will be more successful in this if we commit to some key things. Uh, We're staying in the word as I mentioned before, we sit under teaching that points us to the truth. And then we regularly pray for discernment. These are key, um, key things for us to do as believers. And then thirdly, believers have a greater spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be reminded of, right? That the spirit, than, than the spirit who's in the world. We're unable in our strength to do this. But greater is he who is in us than he is in the world, right? We don't do it on our own. Just a couple of questions to med- meditate on. I'm going to meddle here a little bit. How, how regularly are you reading and studying Scripture, truth, versus other sources of information that may be counter to the truth? This can be a challenge. I know it is for me at times. But we must make the intake of the Word a priority in our lives. It must be. Jay Adams said, It is not general experience that produces godly discernment, but only experience in using God's word to determine God's will. The Christian faith demands much of the listener. It requires him to think, to be on the alert, to know his Bible well, to weigh and evaluate all that he is exposed to. And doing this requires regular intake of the word. Uh, Next, of the teaching that you're allowing in your life, Are you regularly testing the spirits? This is, we're all receiving lots of information in our lives. That's a a fact of all of us. The question is, how are we going about evaluating the content of those messages? Where to be Bereans? Where to evaluate it? Um, This book from Jay Adams, A Call for Discernment, Uh, highly recommend this. It's in the book center. It gives you some really practical advice on how to develop spiritual discernment if you're interested in this highly recommend this book and then lastly are you praying for the leaders of PBC in particular our pastors and our elders they're charged with protecting the flock right and guarding the church from error and we should not only pray for our own discernment but for the discernment of our leaders as well So let us be spiritual discerners, not because we love to criticize and find fault, that's not the goal, but because we generally care about God's truth, we want to separate error from truth, it's vital to a healthy Christian life and a healthy Christian church, and we love Christ, we want to serve Him in the truth. So let's be Bereans. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder that even though we're surrounded with false teachings, that you've enabled us by your indwelling spirit to overcome them. Help us to understand the importance of your word as our primary defense against error and help us to accurately discern truth from error. We also pray for our leaders at PBC. You would give them wisdom and discernment as they shepherd the church. Give them strength and endurance and encourage them as they serve. Help us to remember, Lord, that he that is in us, you, is greater than he who is in the world. May that spur us on to love you more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.